0: David Clark was born in Lincolnshire, and now lives in Gloucestershire, and he works as a teacher, postgrad level, isn't it? German and European studies. German and European studies, and a researcher. His poems have appeared in magazines including Magma, Tears in the Fence, Iota, Under the Radar, which is Nine Archers do, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah, so and um, his pamphlet Gord <laughs> was published by Flairstack Poets, uh, and and that. Um, uh, pamphlet won um, the Michael Marx pamphlet prize yes, which yes. sounded an amazing thing because you not only won the, a prize but you got to go to Greece I did <laughs> it
1: was the tough gig obviously <laughs> <laughs> it
0: sounded amazing because you went to lots of different places didn't you
1: yes it was it was an amazing experience because it was sort of in conjunction with the Harvard University School of uh, Hellenic Studies, um, and basically, we spent two weeks getting taken around all these ancient sites by professors of, of classics and, and the chief archaeologists at, all at Mycenae and all these kinds of places. It was just yeah. absolutely mind blowing, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah wonderful, great. isn't it? That yeah. kind of experience. And um, ARC is David's first full collection of poems, and um, you also blog at a Thing for Poetry uh, blog spot, which I would recommend you look at. It's really, really interesting. I've enjoyed reading it, actually. So, what I'd like to suggest is we start with your opening poem from your book. And uh, we can hear that, and that will get us started. And yes. Think um, right, I, I think
1: or... the only thing I, I can say about it, really, before I read it, is that um, when I sort of realised that I was moving towards having a collection, I felt like I needed an opening poem. So this was kind of written with with that in mind. I'm not sure what it really tells us about the rest of the collection, but it it just felt like this had to be the the opening uh, poem. And it's called Throw, and it's just about throwing a ball into the air. Throw. I am the boy who threw the ball into summer's empty mouth, then saw there was no void at all. As at the zenith of my lob, The sun's hot lozenge stuck like tar, And held my missile's arc aloft. For seconds, minutes, hours it seemed, Dark jewel set in a golden ring, Black pupil stitched with molten seam, Agate glow in quartz's kiss iron plunged in an ember pit little eclipse and apocalypse i squinted to see where it would land running forward with empty hands
0: thank you and um for me uh, it seemed a, a really wonderful opening poem because um it seemed to be about how um the act of poetry is a sort of um faith, act of faith almost, and sort of throwing yourself and and sort of into and running after whatever. Is that, would you agree? I
1: I think so. It is one of those poems about poetry. It's (laughs) appropriately from the start of of the collection. Um, But I think it's also the idea of experiment and risk is quite important for me when I'm writing. So um, I very rarely know where I'm going when I start. And just that act of Throwing something up into the air and trying to catch it, it just felt like what, what poetry is for me, really. Um, you know, I I very rarely know what it is I'm going to come out with at, th- at the end, and that's the exciting thing, actually, that kind of moment of, of running forward to see what you're, you're going to catch.
0: Mm. And, that's, and um, are there any poems in the collection that you think particularly sort of... Uh, relate to that feeling you have about risk or have? are there any poems that felt like a risk to you to have in the collection or is the? can you talk a bit further about this idea of risk because it's really interesting
1: um, I don't know I've, I find it quite hard to judge what other people are going to find a suitable subject for poetry and right. what I would find, compared to what I would find, um, especially with the, the pamphlet actually mm. people say to me, oh I wouldn't a poem about that, or I wouldn't expect a, a poem to be about that. Mm. Um, and I always think, well, why not? Mm. You know, poetry is, is about mm. everything, really. Mm. Uh, you mm. know, everything is in it. The whole world is in it. Mm. Um, uh, but I think sometimes we are a little bit sort of closed off in terms of what we think poetry can can be for. Mm. Um, and I think for me, it's about sort of shutting that out. Uh, and just seeing where an idea is going to, to take you. I mean, the the one for me probably that is uh, most um, kind of the, is most about that process for me is is the one about sword swallowing, which was in the pamphlet as well. But I, I put it in the the collection because um, although um, quite often people when they hear it squirm slightly, <laughs> it, it's it was one of those things where it just came to me that idea of learning to swallow a sword because actually that I have a kind of slight phobia about it sounds ridiculous about swallowing things food fine yes <laughs> but like I can't I can't swallow tablets yes yeah I have a complete block about that and so to me the idea of learning to swallow a sword that would be absolute hell mm. and I just wanted to start from that idea from that fear and um, and just see where it would end up really so mm-hmm. I mean I suppose in the way that's the kind of that risky element of sort of opening yourself um, to something you fear or that you feel insecure about, or um, that you're unsure of what you think about that thing. Mm, mm. Um, shall, I, shall I? Yes, move that, that let's part? Hear it. Yeah, that's favourite. Okay. It. So, apologies cool. if anybody shares my favourite. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so it's called sword swallowing for beginners. Start by flicking the fleshy switch at the back of your throat. When you've thrown up a dozen times, you'll find the impulse subsides. You can sit for hours with a knuckle softly pressed inside your head, watching rolling news of the war. Insert spoons, knitting needles, a length of plumber's pipe, Stare at the ceiling, your jaw loose as a gorging python's and try to conjure those shocks that pass through the body but leave it intact. The rasp of panicked breath, the wump of a nearby explosion, a scream. Or think of the soldier who coughed up a sleeping bullet, shrapnel burrowing out of a human thigh to freedom. By then you'll be ready to take a blunted bayonet, silver and slick with spit. Arrange your body around that deathly spindle. Repeat to yourself I am unharmed unharmed. Isn't
0: that a great poem and um and in a way, for me, it, link, it links back to the throw, the poem throw, because it's um, when I thought about throw, I thought about this idea of dark and light is really strong in the first poem. So you've got the ball, and you've got the sun behind, and you've got so this is. And then I think, and then I think, sword swallowing is a seems to me because, has become. So it started packed with an idea of a phobia. Has it? Did it become about something? A way of tackling this thing of war
1: there's you know it, it did and i think there's a lot of kind of serendipity as well isn't there because um when would this have been this was 2010 so the kind of Iraq conflict was still very much more present and um and also uh, i just happened to read one of those kind of tiny news stories about uh, a soldier who'd been in the the second world war an italian soldier who had a, a bit of shrapnel. In his thigh had kind of emerged literally and sort of popped out of his thigh after what well, it was, 60 years, 70 years or whatever. <laughs> so I have read that at a similar time and all, all these things started to come together. Um, but I don't think there was ever a point where I thought, aha, mm. this is a war poem. No. Um, it just it just kinda of coalesced around the idea of the swords following really. So I suppose that's what I like about writing poetry is, you know, starting in point A mm. with an image or a feeling or a kinda in this case of my own personal sort of phobia, and then mm. where is this this going to go? You mm. know. And hopefully what you're trying to do is get the reader to go on that journey as well and, and not quite be sure uh, where where we're going to end up.
0: Yeah. That's that's interesting. And I mean I did read somewhere, I think um uh you, meant you talked about um, the Ulipo movement and this yes. kind of idea of randomness, which yeah. is, is linked to that. So could, do you want to talk a bit about that? Because it's, it's, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you know Ulipian uh, writers, you'll probably read my poetry and think that the, the similarities aren't that great. But I don't know if everybody's familiar with this idea of the Ulipo. They, they, the Ulipo, they're not per se a group of writers. It's, it's very French. They're <laughs> a group of intellectuals some of them are writers, but some of them are also uh, mathematicians. And they meet regularly in Paris, and they've been doing so since the nineteen late 1950s, I think. Uh, and they invent literary forms. Um, so perhaps the kind of most famous one they do is the kind of the... Like the surrealist n plus seven that you kind of change all of the nouns in your poem for the seventh next noun in the in the dictionary but they come up with quite sort of um complex constraints for writers to work with i mean the most famous one is actually not a poem it's probably a novel it's a novel by uh, uh Georges Perec called uh what's it called avoid it's oh, called okay. in english tra- la disparition in the english translation amazing translation it's called avoid um, And it doesn't have the letter E in it. So it's a 300-page novel and it doesn't have, well, it actually has one, but I've never been able to spot, apparently (laughs) he left one in (laughs) just to tease it. And they do things like anagrammatical writing. They come up with all kinds of constraints. Mm. Um, And I find that idea fascinating and I have written quite a lot um, of work that starts from a sort of formal constraint and then I just, It becomes almost like automatic writing. You Mm. follow the constraint and then something pops out. Mm. Um, So there are some poems in the book that you maybe wouldn't realise that's how they were written. But they were written uh, as rhyming poems where the rhymes were more or less randomly generated. So I had kind of all these rhyme words and a metre. And I just had to start writing Mm. and see what would come out if I was using all of those randomly generated Mm. rhyme words.
0: And then did you change some of the end words, the rhyme words at the end, after, or did you no. stick to it? No, I You sub- did yeah, stick, you didn't yeah. cheat and go, oh, actually, I was going to stick. <laughs>
1: you, do okay. have, you do throw some away, then. Oh, okay. Because you know, some, some, yeah. you know, there are experiments, and then there were failed experiments. Yeah, yeah. you know. So, so yeah. there were plenty that didn't make it into the collection.
0: So do you want to read one that did uh, uh, oh. because the right, you do write there's a, a lot of write there's quite a lot I of right in the collection. Like it's right. lovely it's a very nice one I think actually so uh.
1: yeah I mean there's a, there's a, a, a couple um, so no, I'm i going to read this one because it, it's silly um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this yeah because and um, this was generated to, through this process of kind of setting a, a formal constraint. But it ended up sort of really being in the voice of uh, of Lois Lane. Um, And I sort of realised as I was writing it that I'd never been entirely convinced by this relationship. It's never going to last, is it really, Lois Lane and Superman. So it's written from her perspective and it's just called um, Dear Superman. Dear Superman, I know sometimes we have to take our chances... But even now I feel like every shiver in the air could be you passing. Asses still need whipping, and you're such a giver. Giving them hell, I mean. Those freaks who slither in every gutter spell plenty of printer's ink. Pictures of you turning a swollen river, zapping the chains of captives, link by link. Such meek-seeming schoolboy manners, You flush so pink at the world's praise. Looking back, I cringe to think How I'd lie awake to watch for a chink Of light beneath our bedroom door, The mirror showing a failed sidekick, Tired of the stink of battle on your cape. Not thinking bigger than the two of us, I'd never linger on news of disaster. You'd scoot to salvage NASA's latest screw-up. I'd long to see you dither, shyly reach for your alter ego's glasses.
0: Makes me (laughs) smile. So, um, I'd like to ask you about... um, when, when you became... What made you a poet? I suppose it's a kind of disguised childhood question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't realise this was in the psychiatrist chat. <laughs> but
0: I'm interested in whether you can sort of find the moment or the things that you think made you into a poet. Because um, it's... I mean, it is, is it fair to say it's a vocation? It's not something you pick? So you're, there has got to be something that... Or is there? So that's what I want to know. <laughs>
1: good question i think i probably be, I think I probably became a poet twice right, um, because it was something I did when I was a teenager uh, and it was something I did as a university student um, and then I just completely stopped mm. and then I started again probably' been kind of you know twenty years later mm. um, and the thing that made me start again it, it was I don't know, maybe it is a vocation. I mean, I, mm. I just went into a second-hand bookshop um, and I bought a book of poems completely random by Edna St. Vincent Millet, who is kind of pretty unfashionable these days, but I enjoy Edna Vincent St. Vincent Millay. Um, and uh, I just finished reading it and I just thought, why aren't I writing poetry? Mm. You know, mm. um, I'm not sure what happened in those intervening interview. 20 years in life uh, <laughs> yeah. happened i you know i got a job and i yeah. you know i did you know work all of those sorts of things i guess it must have been coming at a particular time in my life where i felt like i'd done all that yeah um and there was there was space for, for poetry again mm. um I think possibly also, I don't think I had anything to write about when I was a teenager. Mm. And I don't know when I was in my early 20s. I mean, nothing had happened.
0: Yes. You know,
1: and, and some things have happened. I don't, I don't necessarily write autobiographical work, but no. you feel that you have a bit more of a perspective yeah. uh, on things that you can bring into the work, I guess.
0: Yes. Yes, I mean, I mean maybe those of us who love words and writing, oh, we're just born. Maybe it's just a way, of, we're just born that way. But I'm interested because um, you've got... Um, And I, uh, I mean, you were born in Lincolnshire, is Mm. that right? So is that a particular landscape? I mean, do you think there's any sense that a place could have uh, kind of, you know, uh, any, sometimes I wonder whether there's a particular, particular places are more likely to make people
1: poets or... There are a fair few Lincolnshire poets, (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of Tennyson country, so maybe... um... I don't think so. I. I would say I'm not one of. I, I write a lot about place, but I don't write a huge amount about where I come from.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And I had a perfectly nice upbringing and enjoyed my childhood and yeah. was happy and. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: But uh, I'm not intensely interested in in where I come from. I, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I'm not sure why that why um, that is.
0: Although I would love to ask you to read your poem about driving back to Lincolnshire because it is. Uh, <laughs> um a, a real uh land is the, the landscape it's a very sort of there's something very sort of uh, meaty about the uh what you the words you use in the poem it's, it seems quite distinct from some of the other poems it,
1: it is yeah i i don't know i i think that we're, i just reached a point i think it's to do with when again when you're starting to think about putting a collection together you start to think his poems are all so small and slight, you know, oh, although really? they're, they're all 14 lines long, this is, this is not. And uh, I thought, I, I just want to try something with a bit of a bigger canvas, really. Oh. Um, and this just came out, although I, I have to say, if there is anything very specific about my memories of being in, in Lincolnshire, because it's it's quite a diverse county actually, you mm-hmm. know, you've got the walls and the coast and what have you, um, and around Boston where it's very, very flat. But my particular bit of Lincolnshire, um, is very associated with um, the Second World War and bomber command. Um, lots of RAF bases grew up in the shadow of a, uh, a nuclear base, right? Um, which I can maybe read the one about yes, the nuclear base. Uh, that you would know. be great. Read both, of me. I'll, I will. Yes. Yeah. Because that's sort of slightly less less of a big canvas, but um, okay. Let me just find that one. So I think this is the longest poem in the book, but don't panic. It's not that long. It's longish. Driving back to Lincolnshire for a funeral Geese made their arrow in the sky Wavered like ink in a glass of drinking water Black as a glob of licorice on the tongue I dipped beneath them My knackered engine's song percussed Along the splashy tarmac All splutter and choke I only seemed to say goodbye when I returned The flatland boiled the sun in roiling mist. A rhythm of funeral parades swung low in lonesome trees. And the radio said whatever it wanted, Played its jaunty undead tunes of yesteryear, While jiving shades in Air Force Blue imported American fun To clapped-out dance halls in corrugated hangars. Lost world of tiny monochrome snaps, hairdoed girls, then wives in pennies or pillbox hats, gardens strung with plenty by blokes in caps, full mica and snazzy cuts announcing the new. Time has no taste, death, no manners. Like cheeky spivs, they sidle up and whisper, "Now." And now is past. The plan, such as it was, has gone awry as all must go, leaving the sundown to say, we told you so, the dusk to pile up its unforgiving ash. No escape, not even by a whisker, much less by one of these country miles. The village rounded into view, its straggle of forties council houses, then the desres' homes packed tight against the winter's useless moan and ache. Roads slick-sliding with mud from lorries, loaded up with mucky beets or silage for cattle, dreaming in their barn-sweet drowse, Or sheep that picked, like ghosts, at frozen stalks in vanishing fields. That ice was in my bones as well, their clack and scrape, the fear-drum drone of blood in my ears when I couldn't sleep, the mawkish chiding of my past in sharp-toothed hours. I stepped into the rain, whipped dark and hollered, just give me some years when no one at all will die. But the earth was wrestling in December's arms and could not hear, Its long night steeped in harm and half-remembered hope. I steered for the lights of the house and slunk for home. The darkness followed. that's a bit downbeat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry it's, a, it's, it's great I like, it's like a sound poem. it's
0: kind of got all these wonderful sounds for the landscape
1: yeah it's I, I, it's I, I always think it is sort of having yeah, the volume yeah. turned up a bit on that part yes, so nice. yeah uh, but the, the, the other one which is a kind of a gentler poem I suppose which I'll just try and find is about my father and it's I think a lot of po- poets who write about their families they end up sort of fibbing really because life isn't, isn't quite as a good an anecdote as, as a sort of uh, fictional version. It is true that my father worked for a building uh, firm for many years and when he was an apprentice he worked on um, one of the bases where um, they fixed the the nuclear weapons onto the bombers and he has a very vivid memory of, of the Cuban Missile Crisis and being on the base and seeing sort of this the kind of preparations for War, essentially. Um, So this is a slightly fictionalised version because my father would never really have taken the bus. (laughs) Okay, so this is called October 1962. Ten years before I am born, my father builds a wall, slops gun-metal mortar onto a row of bricks, runs his trowel along each side to make a neat mound of gloop that's wet as his cap and his coat, as cold as the airfield's tarmac. Planes of a type he can't name squat on the sodden horizon. Men in slate-blue uniforms tinker with metal cartridges, as big as themselves, while my father presses brick after brick into place, letting the excess ooze like jam between two halves of sponge cake, slapping it back onto his board with a practised flick. When the wall is done, he packs his flask and tools, shows his pass at the gate, then waits for a bus to town, taking in the view from the ridge, the flat expanse of the north and its cape of mist, monochrome Like aerial photos of Cuba he sees every night on the telly, a country consumed by terrible heat.
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, it seems to me um, a poem, and there's some other poems in your collection, which are about sort of small lives brushing with sort of history, big histories and... Because um, there's the Patrick J. Hines poem as well, which yes, um, yeah. uh, uh, I asked you about. Because that that one too. That's about a um, a relative of yours who who was a, um, a
1: soldier. Mm, yeah, he was he was my uh, he was my great uncle, and I'm sort of the wrong generation to have a great uncle. He was in the First World War, but my grandfather. Uh, was from uh, Northern Ireland and from a Catholic family, a very big family. Mm. Um, so he predeceased, uh, sorry, his brother predeceased my grandfather's birth, yeah. essentially. Right. So his his brother was already old enough to fight in the First World War. In fact, two of his brothers uh, fought; one survived.
0: And you sort of um, talk about this finding of the brothers. So this is not a poem you're going to read. We agreed <laughs> no. that because it's quite emotional, <laughs> but it's a poem I would recommend because it's really beautiful and it is about. Uh, as, and I think it's something you're, you do really nicely, this thing of bringing history into the work, but in that sense of through these individual stories. Yes, I
1: mean, I, I am very, I'm very interested in history per se, but again, not so much in, in, in the big history. No. Um, I mean, there's, there's a, a wonderful um, poem of Bertolt Brecht's where he talks about, you know, all the great military Victories they've been and all the great cities that have been built and he asks about them you know so this general didn't he have a cook yeah. you know was it really just a great man of history who usually man who did all of this and so yes i am yeah. very interested in kind of um also as a way of of getting past those stories we quite often Tell, try and tell about ourselves uh, as a nation if you mm. like mm. particularly the poem about my great uncle because I wrote at the time when you know um, the Prime Minister was launching his big kind of 1914-18 commemoration how this was all going to bring us together and a moment of national triumph and all this kind of stuff it just made me really angry <laughs> mm. you know, because mm. if you know about the individual stories mm. then, they, then they don't fit into that no. kind of grand narrative.
0: They, no, that's right. It can be a mistake or a sort of something that you end up in a, in a, war, a war. It often is, isn't it? Yeah, that it's absolutely, yeah. Um, but then some of the poems are also about communism. They sort of, you seem to be interested in uh, the Eastern Bloc type places. Is that... Is that, yes. uh, was that for fun, <laughs> a kind of? Oh, yes. Is, <laughs> I mean, there's some poems like Lenin's moustache and um, uh, the re- revolution. I really enjoyed the one revolutionary, uh, what's that one? Notes towards the definition of the revolution. A really yeah. collage. It's a great collage poem where yeah. you've got these wonderful things, which is, a, I suppose, I mean, are you kind of, do, would you say you're a little nostalgic for something that never quite came to be and wish it had something like that? Or? Um...
1: <laughs> what i went to, well i i am it is a kind of an obsession uh, in a way because I, I i wrote my phd on east german literature right so
0: that's the, that's <laughs> that's the kind of clue <laughs> um
1: but i suppose what it is um when i was growing up in the 1980s and you know the 1980s were, were absolutely not a particularly great time no, what felt... was happening
0: here was the sort of opposite of, sort of yeah. socialism, maybe. I and I,
1: th- I think, um, you know, a lot of <coughs> people of my generation, until the wall came down, till the end of communism, were sort of fascinated by communism because it was at least the possibility of another world. Mm. I mean, the kind of what sums that feeling up for me is that film Letter to Brezhnev. Have you seen Letter to Brezhnev? Mm-hmm. Where she leaves Liverpool. Got, you know, it may be communist Russia, but... <sighs> It can't be worse than <laughs> living in Liverpool in the in the in the in the eighties and having no prospects and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I suppose as it became something that I studied and took very kind of an academic interest yeah. in, um, you know, I came to fully understand what a, a dreadful yeah. system it was. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, so there's no no false nostalgia no. for it. Um, but I think there is a kind of a a remnant of something worth preserving in terms of people's hopes mm. um and you know that, that particular poem um, notes towards the definition of the revolution was really inspired by going to see uh Picasso exhibition actually mm. which in in Liverpool funnily enough and um it was about its political engagement. Mm. And it just kind of reminded me uh, that actually, you know, in the 60s and 70s, the communist movement in Western Europe, it was big, you know. People were engaged and they maybe didn't really understand what was going on in the Soviet Union and were maybe uncritical about that. But all, a lot of people's hopes were poured into that idea. And mm. even if it was a it misguided commitment,
0: mm.
1: I sort of wanted to pay kind of tribute to that really.
0: Yeah. 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 No and I suppose that does um seem like a slightly bigger theme in the collection which is this idea of failure and hope. <laughs> I mean it's uh, not <laughs> <laughs> No, I it, I it definitely doesn't seem like that, but it is one of the themes of life, isn't it? For mm-hmm. all of us actually. Uh so that's how I uh, mm. sort of felt about it that um we all have to kind of come to terms with failing and things not working out, but there's some lovely uh Poems that deal with that, We're driving to Lincolnshire actually yeah. is part of, has that. And um, and you have um, a whole section of the book which is called Epic Fail. Uh, <laughs> you're not shy of using language that, that some people would shy away from. <laughs> you use the word uh, chillaxed in the last poem. Now, who would exactly <laughs> is from the audience? I mean, so. Uh, there's two questions there, really, I suppose. Yeah. One about failure, one about daring to use unpopular language.
1: <laughs> um, I think the language one is easier to <laughs> uh, to answer in a way. Do you know, I've, and you were saying about, oh, is it in your childhood? I think one thing about me when I was a child, I was a terrible mimic. Right. And I would quite often then use words that adults had used around me. Sort of, you know. In, in a sentence, and I had no idea what it and sometimes words I really shouldn't have been using, you know, and, um, and, and, um, and also I've, I've learned foreign languages and, and, um, and language is all mimicry, mm. you know, and I've, I've always felt this slightly alien relationship to language. I love language. It's what I spend my time doing is working with language, but it's always a slightly alien material to me. Mm. And I think maybe that's what being a poet is actually—right, yeah—is is sort of working with this stuff which you're trying to come to terms with, which you never quite feel at home in. And I think using those words, they're just kind of buzzing around in the in the culture, like and yeah. sort of what, they're just material yeah. as as much as more conventional poetic language would be—just yeah. just material to use.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That idea that we, as poets, are working with this form that. Uh, everybody's using all the time without thinking about it to, uh, where they're going
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah try to do something unnatural with it right? <laughs> yes um the failure thing i think uh, and we've talked so much about this this uh, this next towards the definition of the revolution yes. i shall now read it yeah. uh, but i think um i like i like hopeful failure mm. um I and think that's clear. Yeah, and I think uh, it's it's the uh, it's the Samuel Beckett thing, isn't it? Mm. You know, ever tried, ever failed? Mm. Try again, fail better, or whatever. I can't can't mm. prevent, get the quote right, but mm. that's that's it for me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I'll read notes towards the definition of yeah. a revolution because it's about this. It's it's got that kind of thing about language, the foreignness of language and, and, and failure. Notes towards a definition of a revolution of the revolution. The Revolution was a young pioneer, photographed arm-in-arm arm with a round-cheeked Polish peasant at a festival of world youth. Or it was a peacenik at a stall of hectograph pamphlets and imported imprints of the Gorky's The Mother, harassed by police in an arcade of the international style. Often, it was an earnest panel of intellectuals consuming meat-paste sandwiches in a Sheffield labour club in the 1970s. Then again, a summer camp for children of Belgian seal workers who learned bright songs and fashioned likenesses of Jozef Vionosevich Jugashvili in coloured drinking straws. In any case, it was a committee meeting where all concurred, a worker's palace picked out in sugary pediments of Soviet Baroque, a whirligid model of neutrons or satellites in perpetual motion, yet equally the wife of a tireless trade unionist making her husband his supper as she came home gone midnight from a march in the city. Sometimes the revolution was astray, whose Stakhanovite master wired her to gizmos, then watched through a telescope as she burned on re-entry. But even then, the revolution was still a walk in the people's park. It smelled of fresh paint and linoleum, sounded like a folk song performed for a delegation. The revolution was, finally, a crudely executed copy of Lenin's Death Mask, on the walnut desk where the minister would slump, insensible with revolutionary optimism.
0: Thank you. And uh, I think um, when you talk about the hope element of of the work, then there's um, the poem about cake.
1: That's all we've got,
0: isn't it? That's got to to be a hope.
1: Absolutely, there will always be cake. Yeah, that, that was one that kind of slipped in, really. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, some of you may have been aware, if you sort of follow poetry online, uh, when, when The Great British Bake Off was first on television, The Great Success, uh, briefly a couple of poets set up a website called The Great British Bard Off, <laughs> and you had to write a cake-themed poem. <laughs> and because I like sort of odd challenges, mm. um, I ended up writing this, uh, uh, this poem about cake i can't really say anything else about it because it's immensely <laughs> no, it's a
0: sort of looking and hoping type poem i think yes you know, really in a way about can we keep tasting and that's true
1: i've never seen it like, like that's a, that's that's a what I well you guys yeah. listen to it and you yeah, can, yeah. it
0: disagree entirely with what i've read no that's it. true
1: <laughs> that the, the message i guess is there might always be more cake so all, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> okay so, so philosophy of cake so plato reckoned all cake the image of cake's idea the ore cake cake's essence was echoed in every humble sponge each fancy eased from greasy parchment and in all those ramparts of mid-european kirsch and cream the balls of shoe spritzed fat with creme patissiere. and so i slice and bite again and again, in hope of tasting what cake is in truth, the sweetness of that truth, its give and clag between the teeth, and find my hunger still unstilled, my ideal portion yet unserved. (laughs) And I think there there is something there about, uh, especially if you kind of, Go in sort of central Europe, those wonderful kind of uh, uh, cake shops with the kind of very elaborate huge mm. cakes mm. They're was slightly disappointing and <laughs> yes. I think there 's maybe something about that that you kind of oh, wow when you eat the cake, and think it was okay, but it wasn't wasn 't my absolutely <laughs> ideal cake <laughs> i must I must pursue my ideal
0: that 's right, and there is a sense of, with your... Um poems that um, sometimes they're a kind of protest against um and I'm, I'm sort of asking a bit about um, this theme we have at the festival of protest and whether it's uh, you know how poetry poetry as protest and so I suppose that I was thinking with your poems is there an element of protest against the kind of marketing speak or the kind of uh, packaged up uh, kind of everything's being uh, kind of sold to us, and PR'd to us, and uh, that we're slightly kind of, um, is there, is this chiming at all? <laughs> I'm thinking of Permanent I Emergency, permanent emergency one. Yes. and um, yeah. uh, of uh, England by Train, where you're s- sort of taking this kind of ma- uh, marketing brochure, is it, was it a marketing brochure? Yes,
1: I guess it was, yeah, an encouragement to people to, to, Go more on the train and see more more of England that yeah. I that I used. Um, I, I do shy away a little bit from the idea of of protest. Be- people often say, "Oh, your poetry is quite political because it talks about right. history or yeah. communism or, yeah. or all kinds of war, yeah. all kinds of things." Um, I suppose they are the things I'm interested in. Um, but what I really want poetry to be is about saying, "Look at this." Mm um and sort of coming back to throw mm. what we started with mm. um i mean you probably have, have noticed there's, there's a way you know the, the poem goes into slow motion it almost stops mm. Mm. it kind of piles on these images of looking at the the, mm. the ball in the in mm. the sun and i remember sort of having a conversation with jane comey at nine. Actually, where she said i think there's maybe one too many images and i she makes normally very good suggestions, but I sort of resisted that and said, no, I want things to slow down. Mm. I think poetry is about mm. slowing us down, making us look at mm. things mm. properly. Yes. And I think if we looked at things properly, then probably we would object to them more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we would want to change them more. Mm. Um, so if, if that's a kind of a protest, then
0: yeah.
1: fine. Um, but it's not where the poem really starts from.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting you said that, because when I read, um, when I was first reading the collection, and there's um, some lovely poems in here where, say, you've got Orpheus uh, getting cappuccinos. uh, And when I was reading that, I was thinking, oh, you know, that's kind of about bringing kind of mythical characters into the ordinary, everyday world. And then by the time I was coming here tonight, I started to think, actually, I think maybe it's about um, elevating the ordinary into the mythical it's the complete opposite that you're doing so you instead of bringing these characters down to earth you're almost bringing the earth up so you do that amazingly with the angels poem hark the messengers yeah so really yeah. we have to hear because these are sort of super poems and it's particularly i think your way of using um very getting people to use ordinary language
1: too so beautifully the
0: contrast with You'll
1: hear when you Yeah. Read. No, it's yeah, I can I can completely see where you're coming from that, but I'll just read the time. Read the both of
0: maybe both of those if we've got time and then it, this gives you a chance to think there's any questions you'd like to ask us to so superposed.
1: Like Hark, uh, and, Hark the, uh, the...
0: and it's so unfair, isn't it? I, he, he didn't know what he was going to be asked to read and I'm just <laughs> saying now we'd like we I think we would all enjoy Lone the, the messengers <laughs> and Liar and they're both next to each other, so okay, you're like, oh, all right, well, that they're two things, lovely posies
1: easier. Okay. So, um, the messengers. Hark, the angels are crying. We do not hear. Even while they pace the lime-washed halls, brandishing bold lilies, as if to direct our spiritual traffic, we are nonplussed. We turn the pages of magazines, inspect the sorry heel of our own dangled shoe. Hark and hark again. The rain is dashing red brick walls, cars illuminate the prosy night, while ministers of all religions bob home to a book or spouse, and everyone just out of earshot for seraphim, harking themselves hoarse. Not even poets attend to that hailing, haloed in their screen bright fog Such barren shores they choose to call to Those heralds, such blasted shores And I will. this is quite a page poem actually I would say in Lyre And that's with a Y Although possibly also an A-R as well uh, Because it's sort of in little snapshots And the snapshots kind of overlap in a slightly surreal way so that one description blends into the other and sounds a bit nonsensical at times, so just be, be primed for that. It's called Liar. Orpheus wants two Americanos. His mate is part, is impatient on double yellows in the van where they keep the harp, wrapping the roof with his knuckles. Our godly ax flashes a victory V- Thus drives home the point of the goth girl's pen, Tracing cutely bulbous capitals on her yellow pad, Endlessly redrafting a personal statement, As she chews on a hank of purple hair That curtains the puffy eyes of the barista. He slouches hung over to the steam machine With a face full of shrapnel, Stomach turning at that burnt milk smell, of hot babies. Screaming in four-by-fours, half half-bald pigeons, cyclists in eye-watering lycra, the whole ragged street tensed beyond the cafe windows, waiting for Orpheus to swing back into his van and strike the morning's opening court.
0: Thank you, thank you. So two very different poems really and there's so much energy in Orpheus and that's where the uh, paragraph, the the stanzas seeming together gives it this and then he swings back in and the morning starts. It's lovely. I think that's the one where I felt like these, this very ordinary scene, I I could almost imagine you're in a cafe or somebody in a cafe observing this scene around becomes something sort of this wonderful energy just lifts it up into something else. It's yeah, I mean, yeah. That, I mean,
1: that's the, uh, leaving aside kind of political issues or historical issues or, or whatever. That sort of taking time to look, yeah, um, is is also a kind of magic in poetry. That's the, what I look for in the poets that I read and enjoy. Mm. That the world just seems different,
0: mm. yeah,
1: uh, when you've when you've read the poem. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, that's sort yeah. Of what it's all about for me. I yeah. Think.
0: Whereas, whereas The Messengers is a kind of poem of this sort of, these sort of <laughs> angels ignored. It's a very different... And poets, of course. And poets. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was interested a lot in this sense, but this is a pagey type question of where you, when you put poems together on a page, you know, and those weird things that it does as two poems sit opposite each other on the page and that kind of strange conversation. But I think that's a question for another another time possibly so does anybody in the audience want to ask anything or follow up on anything we were talking about earlier I forgot to say butt in whenever you like but if you have any questions otherwise I think uh, I have one more question I'd like to
1: ask so does anybody from the audience want to ask anything
0: or or challenge anything or just if you want to hear anything said your poems aren't autobiographical is that deliberate
1: I'm not very interesting, I think is what it boils down to, <laughs> um, and you know lo- lots of uh, yeah. I think that's it. I, I don't I don't find myself and things that have happened to me especially interesting, um, but details are kind of woven in. I mean, there's there's some kind of uh, connection to things I've observed or or experienced, but I just choose to kind of recontextualize them in in another, in another kind of uh, yeah another context. Um, I don't know why that is exactly I guess i'm a little suspicious of the idea of confession. I know it's kind of a, a negative way to talk about autobiograph- autobiographical writing. Mm. Lots of people do it very well. I enjoy lots of poets who do mm. it very well. I just don't feel particularly comfortable uh doing it mm. um, you know and and ev- even down actually to the uh, to the photograph on on the book which a friend of mine took. Um, Which, I love the photograph, but I said, I want an author photograph that is as little connected to my own life as possible. (laughs) So I am leaning against a wall somewhere in Cheltenham, a factory called Clark Way, handily, um, and I am, uh, you know, dodgily looking around the corner reading a copy of the racing post. Looking like a spy. Looking like a spy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's I'm so many communist the poems. Not it? swallowing sword. Not phrasing. swallowing sword. <laughs> <the song. laughs> <laughs> but that's deliberate. That's absolutely um, deliberate because I, you know, I you have to have author photograph. It's sort yeah, of part of the, so the course. Right. But I'm not, I'm not interested in, in saying anything about me particularly. I'm interested in people reading the the, the poems. So there's, it's a bit of a joke, really. Mm. Mm.
0: Um, I mean, the things about identity as a poet and it must frame the sort of topics you end up exploring doesn't it so you you've, yeah, yeah, you've got um, a, a poem about um you've got two poems you've got uh uh queer and the exodus these two poems are they uh, would you say they are in some way at least identity poems that you're interested in these things yes and, but it doesn't matter in some ways does it because after all i suppose the process of writing everything changes, doesn't it? Well, we, someone said, uh, we went, I saw a quite in Chatton, and said, uh, as soon as you write something down, even if you think it's autobiographical, actually, it's not. Because for the very act of writing it down, changes it. And makes it something that the reader puts their yeah. own thing into mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's important, I suppose, do you think, for... Oh yes, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky big question for me though too and I read poems and I find the I can be confusing and the shifting in perspective sometimes as a read mm. yeah. It doesn't have to be true, does it? No You read a poem that you think is autobiographical and it mm. isn't People write novels all the time using the first person yeah. and you, know, yeah. you wouldn't dream of assuming that it was their real life and yet yeah. in poetry if yeah. somebody writes something that looks really personal yeah, you just assume that it's right. Well, yeah, even though you know necessary. it probably isn't. Mm-hmm. you yeah, can't help it, it. I don't know why that happens. Yeah. Why we sort of yeah. think it must be. There's, well, there's
1: that lyric tradition which is so strong, isn't it? That, yeah. That, 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 so, you know, I think when we first encounter poetry in school, it's probably poetry that's coming out of the lyric tradition, mm-hmm. and therefore mm-hmm. we're sort of trained into yeah. thinking about
0: yeah.
1: connections to biography. And I, you know, yeah. I, I moan sometimes about the way poetry is taught in in, in school, but I think. You know, when I encountered poetry, it was very much about saying, you know, so this was about the thing that happened to the poet, and he's writing mm. a poem about mm. it, or she's writing a poem about mm. it, and what, it, what are they trying to tell us about that experience? Mm. Mm. Um, I, I don't, so I, I push against that, mm. I, would, I would say. Um, and it's also about, you know, the cliche of, of creative writing tuition is write what you know. Mm. So I'm not interested in writing about what mm. I know, I know it already. You know, I want, I want to write a poem that takes me to a place where I've, I now know something else. Mm. Mm. So, I think sometimes, you know, personal experience is a good starting off point for that. Mm. But if you just remain rooted in that mm. personal experience, mm. to me it becomes too anecdotal. Or, or I can't do it well enough that yeah. it doesn't but stay anecdotal. Do you have your perspective on thing which comes through, so it's your interpretation of whatever? I there suppose is so. You in everything you write has got you. absolutely, but uh, but in quite a surprising ways sometimes.
0: Sense of humour. They try
1: to have a sense of humour.
0: In some ways, I think what it is with poetry is where sometimes I read fiction. I just don't believe half what I know. I'm reading a novel. I know it's made up. I don't really believe it. I come to the end of it, and it's usually I go. Ah. You know, where sometimes I think when I'm reading poetry, I believe in it. So, <laughs> do you know, that's true, isn't it? There's something about poetry where you think, oh, you know, and it feels so true. That's why it's good, isn't it? And, that, and then you think, well, they must have been. They must have. How could they do it otherwise? So, maybe there's something this, in that. <laughs> yes. Or is the space it gives us to put ourselves into it and make it feel so real to yeah. us. I don't know what it is. The parrots are dishonest. Thing. A dishonest
1: thing, <laughs> <you know. laughs>
0: Any other questions? It's not to
1: be true, but it needn't have happened.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about freedom? That was a big question for the last five minutes. Freedom, what does that mean to you?
1: <laughs> well, that's, you that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean.
0: Um, no, we should. I shouldn't throw that question at you. I think what would be nice for the last last few, few minutes is for you to choose a, a poem or two to, that you might like to finish on. Would you like to do that? Because you haven't had any personal choices no. so far. <laughs> what would you, re- if if you were to read it, where you had the freedom to what read what you like, like <laughs> what would you
1: choose to read? <laughs> that could be. <laughs> um, do you know, I, I go to. Um, yes I'm, uh, I'm going to read a poem uh, called song of his suicidan brother um, because i probably write too many poems about the sea but this is one of them but it's it's one that i i personally like and i think that's quite that's quite a, a british thing we have a lot of sea. Mm-hmm. And when I was um, with the Michael Works Award in, in Greece, that was uh, a medal of Greek poets. So immediately the thing we bonded over is because they write a lot about the sea as well. They've got even more of it, you know. Um, so that is a common uh, thread. I'm trying to write fewer of them these days. Oh, but yeah. I think I've noticed it in a lot of other people's work as well. I've
0: enjoyed your poems about the sea. They're beautiful mm-hmm. poems about the sea. So if you do like the sea, get the book. Definitely. Yeah, another reason. No. Um, but I should
1: also explain... Um, that this poem is based on um, uh, a mythical creature called the Soutokin, uh, which I was introduced to by a friend of mine and a very great poet, also Cheltenham-based, um, Angela France. Mm-hmm. Now, the sutikin, um to make a long story very brief, is a sort of fairy child, a kind of goblin child, I guess, uh, born alongside a human child but it's all kind of furry and cute. And the danger is that the mother will pay all of her attention to the sort of fairy child and the human, her real human child will kind of wither away and die. Yeah? So Angela's poem isn't about us at all. It's how I came across it reading Angela's poem about Soutokins. But she was kind enough to let me steal the idea. Song of his Sutakin brother. Omar. There is no charm or tune to make him leave. Lizard-fingered, he rides in the fold of your sleeve, Nuzzles and pecks at, at your wrist With the dry comma of his nose. He has not spoken or groan Since we first slipped in your wake, Two fish flapping on a sheet. The burly midwife hoisted me gasping and shrill, while you were at his care, groaning for love as you tongued his fur flat. All our boyhood I scuffed the edges of fields, haunted hawthorn lanes, whistled those airs that comforted only him, as you rocked and cooed your smaller treasure in his burrow of animal sleep. Mother. I have been to sea, brought you shells with an ocean in them, shocks of silk they sell on Constantinople's keys. But only my brother earns your looks and sighs. So tonight, I slip the latch. The moon-wet path is a stream that runs to the coast and my canvas bag hangs raw in my hand. I leave you both your landlocked love. The ship is singing with the wind in her wings and sails.
0: Thank you. That was a lovely poem to finish on, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd, la- I'd like to say thank you very much, um, David, for coming to chat and to read your you. wonderful poems. And uh, I'm sure we'd all like to give you a big round of applause.